everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Baropolis podcast. Of course, as always, I'm joined with Nathan, and for what seems the longest time now, really, we are recording the podcast fresh off the back of another positive result for Middlesbrough. And I mean, yeah. we we normally start the podcast off, don't we? I always religiously ask you, how are you feeling? And for the last probably three weeks now, you've said, yeah, I'm great. And I'm not expecting any other answer, really, because there's every reason to be happy. Of course there is. It's just nice to come on here and just be happy about our football team. It was a bit rocky at the start of the season when one week it was a high, next week it was a low. And you kind of expect it to, to happen again, but at the minute we're on a fantastic run and another unbelievable result on Saturday has left us all smiling and happy again. <laughs> yeah, smiling and happy, football's going good, Christmas is just round the corner. Yeah, there's every reason to smile, isn't there? But perhaps one reason to maybe hold back that full-on grin um, at the moment is, of course, the outbreak of COVID in a lot of football clubs. We just said we'd sort of touch on it before we really go into the Bournemouth game, of course. Uh, we can't wait to start talking about that. But, you know, on a more serious note, of course, we did see from... It was really from the tail end of, of last week's games, wasn't it? Um, that a few training grounds were starting to be shut down. And then this week, I mean, COVID's just sort of hit the football league like a ton of bricks and I'm sure many other uh, lower down levels. But, you know, luckily our game went ahead, but we were quite lucky, weren't we? Yeah, we were. I think a lot of fans of clubs have been gutted this week. I think it's it's the best time of year to be watching football around Christmas. The games come thick and fast and wherever you go, really, up and down the country, stadiums are packed out, everyone loves the fixtures around Christmas and it is it is awful that some some clubs are being hit with with COVID and just thankfully for for us this weekend our our players and and staff are all okay and long may that continue hopefully fingers crossed and hopefully everyone that's been affected by it in the last few weeks or so comes through it and is okay come Christmas and New Year time. Yeah, definitely, Nathan. And of course, on behalf of both of us, I'm sure everyone, make sure to stay safe. And for anyone that may be, you know, suffering with COVID, even some of the players, you know, we've seen various cases, even rumoured cases in the Middlesbrough team. So yeah, by all means, get well soon. And hopefully, you know, the Christmas festive football period can continue as we all know and love it. So on a more positive note, straight into the Bournemouth game, Nathan, now, normally I'd ask you your thoughts on the team, but I want to ask you about something else first, actually. Um, you, all week prior to the Bournemouth game, and even prior to the Stoke game, we, we obviously went and we mentioned it on the podcast, but you were, for some reason, super, super confident that we were going to get a result at Bournemouth, um, at the Riverside, of course. That sort of come true was there any reason why you were so confident or was it just one of those feelings <laughs> just a gut feeling really um I've sort of had it since uh pretty much the start of December really just thinking thinking ahead to the games coming up and what have you and I picked out Bournemouth and thought right 
get a, get a few good results out of the way against Swansea and, and Stoke. And we'll, we'll go on to Bournemouth, who are flying high. Of course, they were unbeaten in the opening 10 or so games, which was fantastic for them. But they've sort of petered out the forms a bit, a bit iffy in the last few weeks. Uh, I think they were uh, they hadn't had a win in five prior to prior to their visit to the Riverside at the weekend, and with the way that we were playing in in the last few weeks, I just thought perfect opportunity to sort of put a stamp on this game and say, yeah, we are a very good side in this division. We are playing some really good football at the minute, and yeah, hopefully, hopefully it continues. And fires us up the league and catches up catches us up with Bournemouth really. Yeah, I mean, really, you, you were spot on, weren't you, with your prediction? And you know, we uh, we always sort of on the morning of a game or what have you give a few predictions between the two of us because for anyone that's listened to all the podcasts we've seen previously, if we predict anything on this podcast, it usually is the complete opposite. I distinctly remember predicting a 3-0 win against Blackpool earlier in the season and they, and they beat us 2-1, didn't that, at the Riverside. So, yeah, from that point onwards, we've just sort of stayed away from any form of prediction. But, yeah, we we were quite good with our predictions between the two of us this week. Just in terms of, obviously, going into the game now, Nathan, um, in regards to the starting eleven, uh, we were missing Mark Bowler and, of course, that meant that Neil Taylor had his first start in the team. But apart from that, there was no other changes. Um, I'm guessing you were relatively happy with, with the team as it was. Yeah, relatively happy again. Um, from what I've gathered watching Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough in his, his early part of his, his reign as manager, I think he, he doesn't really like to make all too many changes at all to his starting eleven. I think we've only seen a few in positions that may have been necessary, really. Um, a few few injuries and, and niggles going back earlier on where Peltier was injured and Dyke Steele came in at Huddersfield. Um, of course, we found this week that apparently one player in the, in the squad has been struck, struck down with COVID. Um, I'm not going to throw names about, but Bowler wasn't in the squad. And Taylor... Is that man that can that, that can fill in there and replace him? And I think just just looking back, well, I don't know why Neil Taylor wasn't brought in sooner, really, um, to the to the football club at the start of the season. Of course, free agent. We needed left-sided defence cover and he was available, but clearly didn't fancy it under Neil Warnock. And as soon as Chris Wilder came in, he was snapped up straight away. And he fit, I thought he filled in brilliantly. Um on, on Saturday, and we'll get we'll get into his performance as well as the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, he, he put on a great display, didn't we? And, and as you say, we'll we'll delve deeper into some, you know, um, personal performances as we go through the game. But yeah, Neil Taylor um, had a really promising debut, didn't he? Uh, just moving into the action now, really, um, it was quite a um, again really from Middlesbrough, especially at the Riverside. Uh, even this season under Neil Warnock, whether we've had a bad second half, we've always started relatively well and it was no change really on Saturday. Of course, early kickoff on Sky Sports, um, perhaps the players wanted to make an immediate impact. And yeah, we were straight away 
um, creating chances, um, keeping the ball well, putting together some nice little moves. And the first real chance felt to Matt Crooks, didn't it? Um, some good work by him and Isaiah Jones down the right uh, delivered that ball in and, and Crooks from probably six yards out, really. He probably should score, shouldn't he? Yeah, he should. It's it's straight out Mark Travers in the Bournemouth goal, but it's promising to see us going down both wings and linking up really well. I think Jones is a big part of that, um, getting down that right-hand side and putting balls across pretty much on a plate for players, really, if you look back at the last few weeks and teeing up chances for Watmore amongst amongst others. It was it was pretty much carbon copy of the ones he's been putting on a plate for Watmore, but this time it was Crooks and, yeah, maybe he should score, but it was promise, promising early signs from Borough in this game. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And, you know, I think one thing that has to be mentioned is I, I saw as well as a lot of praise for Isaiah Jones, and, and rightfully so, because I, I thought he was excellent um, on Saturday. I did see a few people questioning his end product on, on various forums and, and things like that, and the, the odd posts on social media. And, you know, like you say, I think it's important to mention and sort of remember that had Duncan Watmore put Isaiah Jones's chance away at Stoke, it's another assist to add to his list. And, you know, he's already got the assist for Watmore, as you say, for that Huddersfield goal. But I think there's certainly an uh, area where Isaiah Jones will be looking and thinking, you know, you look at some of the other wing-backs and, and right-backs throughout the, the top divisions in the Football League and think, well, you know, the, the output that they put forward is more similar to sort of your traditional winger or or forward, really. So, of course, he'll want to improve that. But, you know, given his newfound position, really, because he said himself it's not a position that he's, he's played before Chris Wilder come into the club, you know, he, he needs an awful lot of credit and for anyone sort of trying to jump on his end product. I mean, we saw there again, if Matt Crooks puts that away, then he's got two assists in the last two games, hasn't he? And of course, if Duncan Watmore puts the Stoke chance away. So yeah, I think just just give him a, a little bit of an easier time. I think he's playing brilliantly at the moment. So just, you know, just leave him to improve his crossing, and I'm, I'm sure it'll. Uh, I'm sure he'll add the numbers as the season progresses. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think just as well, playing in that right wing back role, he's been asked to do two different jobs. Um, when maybe earlier on in his career, his main job was just to attack, get his full back, put balls into the box, and create chances. Really, but now in that new right wing back role that he's found himself in. He has to do the defensive side of things as well. And I think he's doing outstandingly well in there, at both attacking and defending. He gets us up the pitch really well. I think his, his pace is, of course, his, his best asset, I think. It's outstanding, his pace and his dribbling. And it, as I say, gets us up the pitch really well and into good positions to create chances. Um, but his defensive duties have been pretty spot on as well for me. Um, we'll get on to the penalty later on in the game, but the, the whole build-up from Jones in that passage of play was absolutely outstanding. And I think he's only going to get better uh, as he plays more games in that position as well. Yeah, you're definitely right there. And, you know, 
we said we'll wait until the end of sort of dissecting the game before we give anyone any individual praise. But, you know, Isaiah Jones has grown into that role so much that I think the, the praise is warranted, to be honest. Um, so just moving on in, into the action of the first half, um, one moment that that really stood out for me, and it, it could have been a worse moment, um, definitely, but it, it sort of panned out okay and everyone you know, breathed a sigh of relief. Um, it was that chance early on for Bournemouth, wasn't it? Um, Jaden Anthony. Um, it basically comes from us trying to play out from the back and, you know, f- for a long, long time, Middlesbrough fans have cried out that we don't want to watch hoofball and, you know, I think everyone knows the names associated with that type of football in Middlesbrough Football Club. But under Chris Wilder, we're going to see a change. And of course, we saw the two centre-backs drop off when we do have a goal kick. And the chance for Jaden Anthony really comes from Housen getting the ball on the back foot. And he just first time tries to play a pass into Dale Fry and that gets cut out and you know there was the moans and groans and, and everyone was worried that you know playing out from the back just get it long and of course Jaden Anthony goes on to miss arguably should score but what I would say Nathan is you know as as fans I think we're gonna have to get used to it aren't we you know it is a it is something that Chris Wilder said in even in his post-match press conference. You know, he wants his players to be brave on the ball. And, you know, mistakes will come from that. We spoke about it last week with Sol Bamba, didn't we? And, and even a few weeks before with the, the Preston goal where Bamba tries to play out from the back. But it's just something that I think as fans, we're just going to have to be patient with. And it'd be just interesting to hear your thoughts on that because... You know, there was a lot of sighs and moans and groans when that chance came about for Bournemouth. But, you know, I think it's just something that we're going to have to get used to, really. Yeah, I, uh, I sort of touched on it last week, just that at times when we're playing out from the back and we're under a bit of pressure, I myself get a bit bit tetchy and think, oh, just, just get rid of it sort of thing. But the players need to be confident in their own ability and they, they can play out from the back. We've seen it a few times. We play out really well and play through the thirds and end, end up on the on the front foot and attacking. But just in this new style of play that Wilder wants to play, playing out from the back, trying to play out from the opposition's press and play around it, we will get caught out a few times. It's it's perfectly normal, I think, to uh to sort of just expect mistakes. Uh, early on, really, from from playing out from the back, there will be misplaced passes. Unfortunately, that will lead to opposition chances, and that was a big one for Bournemouth on on Saturday. Um, Anthony gets the gets the ball after Housen's misplaced pass, uh, chops inside a Dyke Steel, then outside, and then fires a shot wide, and it should really have put them one nil up. Um, but it was a big let off for us. And I think it's important for, for the team as well to realise, even, even though we may concede opportunities like that, that we shouldn't stop playing that way just to stop conceding those sort of chances. We need to continue on playing that way. We'll get used to it and we'll become more confident playing that way the more we do it. So 
yeah, we will give chances away, but us as fans, we just need to bear with it. I think it's harder for us as well after years of just, as you say, smashing the ball up front and no-nonsense sort of thing instead of just passing the ball and keeping it nice and tidy. So I think us fans get a bit tetchy, myself included, and we just have to sort of just calm ourselves down, bear with it, and it'll come for us. We will start playing really well out from the back and playing through the thirds, and I have no doubt that it will be miles better from this stage of the season to the end of the season. We'll be better at doing that by then as well. Yeah, I think you've summed it up perfectly there, really, Nathan. And, And really, I mean... Just touching back on the last podcast again, when we were previewing this game, we both said that, you know, we're not going to make a scoreline prediction, but what we will say is it'll be a good game for the neutral to watch. And of course, it was on Sky Sports and it felt like in the first half, there was really a number of almost clear-cut chances for both teams, really. And, you know, although we don't want to watch that as as Middlesbrough fans, you know, it is and was, um, it's more entertaining, this brand of football, isn't it? And, you know, Chris Wilder said in his post-match press conference that he said to his players that, you know, don't sort of um, be scared if they have the ball. Don't, you know, Bournemouth have got an abundance of, I mean, Premier League players, really. There's so many good players and talented players in that team that... um, you kind of just have to accept sometimes that the opposition are going to create chances. And of course, you've got to try and deal with that as, as well as you can and, and limit it, of course. But, you know, I think that was part of the reason. It was always going to be a game where both teams had chances. And, and just on a chance that we had really before Bournemouth had possibly the most clear-cut chance of the first half, um, Anthony Dykesteel, who... He's, I think there's a few moments over the past few weeks where he's looked a little bit nervy on the ball, but you can see each game as it comes, he's grown into that role of the right-sided centre-back and it does allow him, and we've seen previously, more so over recent weeks, that he's quite comfortable coming in field and, and picking passes and even you know the chance I'm just about to talk about, he comes inside and he, he unleashes a fairly decent strike on his left foot, it's deflected, and it nearly wrong foots uh, Travers, doesn't it? The Bournemouth goalkeeper, but just on Dyke Steele and um, and Paddy McNair, of course, there isn't that balance with Paddy McNair coming inside onto his right foot from the left. But in terms of Dyke Steele and that chance, it just it just goes to show that that change in style again. And, and I'm all for it, to be honest, Nathan. I'm sure you're exactly the same. Yeah, it just goes to show anyone in this team can. Can have the chances really. Dyke Steele playing on the right side of centre half finds himself on their 18 yard box and fires a good shot off, tests the goalkeeper with his with his weaker left foot as well, really. And I think what I like to see from Dyke Steele is especially when he he drives inside uh, quite a lot, drives through the centre of the pitch, carrying the ball, which I really like to see. Um, I think just as a as a player, he has a lot of physical attributes that go well with being able to do that. He's relatively quick. Um, you can see in his his upper body build, he's a str- strong lad, strong runner with the ball. And it is good to have the defenders step into midfield and 
sort of knock a ball either out wide to to Jones or Taylor or Bowler, whoever that may be, and get us on the front foot looking to create chances. And yeah, as you say about Dyke Steele playing out from the back and whatever, he has been a bit nervy on the ball at times. I remember one check one issue on on the ball on on Saturday sort of took a touch that was a bit bit heavy that I can't remember if it did lead to a chance or not but I remember his touch and I was thinking oh maybe just sort of relax under pressure a little bit more and we'll, we'll be okay once everyone sort of gets on the same page that we're all confident on the ball and all confident in possession as well but I'm sure once he gets, I don't think he's even back to full fitness yet. I know he's played the last few games, but you can tell he's not really 100% fit. But he's certainly keeping his place in the team really well so far. And when he's back 100% fit, I think we will see the Anthony Dyke steal that we saw for a few periods last last season under Neil Warnock, where he's probably one of the better fullbacks in the division. Yeah, Um and really going on to a, another chance straight away, you know, we spoke of how many chances there was in the first half. And I think for me, it was probably the best half, um, the best chance of the half, um, I should say. Uh, Philip Billen, who, of course, we we marked as a real threat last week, um, gets down the left and, and on that left foot, he's got so much quality in, it, in that left foot, of course. He delivers a ball. Um, low and hard, right across the front of the six-yard box. Um, you know, Joel Umley can't come out and claim it, and it goes right across the defence, falls to Ryan Christie, and really, I'm, I'm not sure how he doesn't score, to be honest. He, he somehow gets the technique a little bit wrong, and it, it he comes sliding in, and it sort of cannons off his right foot and, and goes over the bar. But, yeah, from, from our, our seats, especially in, in the West Stand, it... it I was just waiting for the ball to hit the back of the net, to be honest. Yeah, it looked like he, he definitely should have been finishing that chance, really. But I think I've seen I've seen a replay of it and the ball bounces just in front of him. He just has his foot a little bit off the ground and kicks the ball into the ground and it sort of goes over and wide, which again, another let off for us. I think we will we will concede chances, especially against teams of, of Bournemouth's calibre really, they're one of the better sides in the division are creating chances, you've seen them this season put sides away for 4-0 four, 3-0, four so they will create chances against against um, pretty much everyone that they play in the division and it's a let off for us again and we go in 0-0 at the break and I think we were just sort of both expecting going into the second half that both teams again would have a few chances both be a bit a bit cagey I thought it'd be uh, early on in the second half but it really wasn't uh, wasn't cagey at all both sides just just going going for it in that early period of the second half and we we were the side that got that got that break with with Jones early on in the second half within the first First sort of 10 minutes of that second half. Jade and Anthony going down the left side attacks Isaiah Jones and Jones wins the ball off him beautifully, drives up the line and just buys the penalty off him. Just steps steps across at Anthony into the box. Anthony just sort of makes contact with Jones, 
in the back and penalty to Borough. Jones is fantastic at, at buying those fouls, just sort of um, killing the game, really, when we're under pressure. But he uses uses this chance to, to win us a penalty and gives us the perfect opportunity to go 1-0 up. Yeah, as you say, obviously, Jones um, really just emphasising sort of what is about in that right wing back role um, in in terms of that little section of play where you know as you say he nicks the ball off Anthony and and through real his his pace and his dribbling manages to get in front of him and then as he's bearing down on goal you sort of just he knows he knows exactly what he's doing doesn't he he just gets in front of Anthony that little bit makes sure that his body's across him and and almost sort of waits for the contact and. You know, some people might say, "Well, he should try and go for goal," but you know, in a in a game where whoever scored the first goal, really, I felt was probably gonna go on and win the game. It's all about getting the best opportunity to do that, and of course, Isaiah Jones knows exactly what he's doing. As you say, the contact comes from behind, and he goes down, and and then we get the penalty, and you know, as soon as we get the penalty. I don't know about you. I, I knew for a fact that Sparrow was going to, from the interviews that he's conducted and, and even from some of his Instagram posts, we know that as a player and as a man, he's not um, shy of confidence at all. And that's not in a bad way. That is by no, uh, by no means in a bad way. But up until, obviously, Saturday's game, Sparrow, it had been sort of becoming more and more public by the week that, he was going through a little bit of a goal drought and, you know, he was needing to score because, you know, he, he certainly was affecting games, but as a striker, I'm sure he'll admit himself, you know, he's, he's in the team to score goals and, and he hadn't been doing that really. So as soon as that penalty was given, obviously he steps up and in fairness for someone that hasn't scored for so long, he showed, you know, it, he still had all that confidence left in me. He fires it straight into the bottom left corner and, of course, celebrates. And then the the famous uh, chant that is just seems to have taken over the world, really, at the moment, then starts being bellowed out from all sections of the stand. Just before, obviously, we talk about that celebration and, and the chant, to be honest, because I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Did you... Have any real sort of nerves prior to Sparrow stepping up and, and did you think he was the man that was always going to take that penalty? Yeah, I knew he'd be the one that would be stepping up 100%, but I think just just over a regular theme for me since Leadbitters left the football club, whenever we have penalties, I'm just never confident, really. Uh, one week it can be McNair, one week it can be Sparrow. In past times, it could be a somber longer and what have you. So it's, it's sort of just neat. I'm always a bit nervy with it, but so far this season, I think I think if I'm not wrong, we've had three penalties, I think, and they've all been converted. Uh, McNair against Peterborough, Sparrow at Cardiff and Sparrow, obviously on Saturday against Bournemouth and... It's I a confident penalty. More actually, because I remember Uche scoring one against Uche. Him. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Uche against uh, QPR. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but of course that still makes it 100% record so 100% record exactly but then then again there's another there's another penalty taker there um so it can be it can be anyone that takes takes these penalties and we've done all right at converting them so far and yeah Spira very confident penalty just puts it in the corner low and hard and that's his goal his goal drought ended for for now uh, hopefully, I think we've spoken about it a few times now. We think if he gets gets one, sort of relieves himself of that burden that's on his shoulders. Hopefully, he'll go on a bit of a run and start putting the chances that he gets away. He has he has been a bit shy of chances in recent weeks. It seems that from when I've been watching highlights, he's usually the one that's moving defenders away for for other players to to have the chances themselves. But for me, I'd rather have the other players moving moving around, trying to create chances for Sparrow. I think he's the the better fit, the best finisher at this football club so um at this current time. And it was as I say, very confident penalty, puts it away, one nil up and good to see the team all united in the in front of the South stand with him as well. It was it was brilliant, and especially at this time when games aren't going ahead, it's it's amazing to see the players celebrate with the fans. It's fantastic. Yeah, and and of course, I mean we can't talk about Andres Farrell scoring a goal without talking about his chant at the moment. It it just seems like, doesn't it, that I can't remember. You know, I might be wrong. Probably looking back to maybe. He's, Aito Karanka, Aito Labamba song during the promotion season or during the Wembley season, whenever that started. The uh, a songs caught on so much and it, it seems like whenever it's sung, it's the loudest song sung. And, you know, Sparaz acknowledged it. We, we saw a few weeks ago him going off. Um, I think it was against Swansea, wasn't it? Um, I hope uh, memory serves. Yeah, it was. And and the fall of the South Sand is singing it to him. And, you know, he's he's patted the badge and applauded the fans. And, and I mean, it's just, what a song, really. Yeah, I think the best type of songs for me as a football fan, look at, looking at it from a football fan's point of view, are the ones that are directed at a player or a group of players, really. Um, you look at La Bamba and... Then of course this this new Sparrow chant. We've got we've got other ones. The one for Jones is fantastic as well. And it can only boost the player's confidence, really. I think. I think it's what everything that you want as a player, you want the fans to be behind you, even though Sparrow was on a bit of a barren run in, in front of goal. He had the fans behind him, wishing him on, wishing for him to score that goal, get that chance and put it away. And this time he has in before we get to the end of the game, it's won us. It's won us three points at the weekend, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I love I love chants that are directed at players. It's fantastic and m- must help to boost the confidence. I mean, obviously, not experiencing it myself or anything, but <laughs> um, having a chant directed at you with your name in it and all for you, it must be outstanding to hear. Yeah, I mean, Mebbies, um, Mebbies will have experience, you know, in with dreams when we're <laughs> a full Riverside chanting our names. But yeah, nothing, nothing quite to that point just yet. Um, 
you know, it, it remains to be seen if that'll ever happen. Uh, <laughs> it, it definitely won't happen, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, um, you know, Sparad even, you know, posted on Instagram, I think it was a few weeks prior, almost apologising for the fact that he hadn't scored in a while and saying, you know, your support really helps and it's keeping me going. So as you say there, you, you make a valid point, you know, some some might sort of undermine how important that getting behind the players really is, but it certainly has kept Andras Sparar confident and of course he, he got his rewards for keeping his head up and taking that chance away. So moving on from obviously Sparar ending his goal drought, um, from that point onwards, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, this season is is building in a way where it's very exciting. And to be honest, I think there's going to be a lot of good moments. But for me, potentially moment of the season <laughs> already. And I mean, just everything about the comedic timing of the f- of the linesman's flag going up, the fact that, you know, of course, we're talking about Onel Hernandez going through and scoring <laughs> and whipping his shirt off. I'm already nearly gone here just thinking about it. But Nathan, I mean, I- I'm laughing about it now. I was laughing about it in the stadium. And do you know what? I was celebrating going mental when it hits the back of the net and my dad says, Chris, it's offside. <laughs> Immediately, you sit back down and you think, oh, God, I feel a bit of a donut jumping up and celebrating when it's offside. But, you know, it could be worse. You could have been the one ripping your top off and swirling it around in the air. <laughs> On El Hernandez, really there. I mean, what a moment, but what a what a funny moment, really. Yeah. Um, just, go, just going back to the actual move, really. Tavernier in the middle of the park gets past one. Good play from him, actually. Um, slides it to Sparrow. And then, do you want to know what? I'm going I'm to say I actually didn't jump up because I knew he was offside and I saw the linesman's flag. Before he'd even put the ball in the net, I'd seen the linesman's flag. And, um, yeah. He's, do you want to know what? It's an amazing finish as well. He hasn't got all, all too much to aim at and he slides it in the corner, but yeah, <laughs> that had been his second goal for the club. That would have been for, for Onel. He's, it would have been two shirts whipped off for both goal celebrations. I mean, thankfully he didn't throw this one in the crowd because I don't think he'd have got it back like he yeah. did against Nottingham Forest, but yeah, what a funny moment and I was just laughing because the Bournemouth bench wanted to uh, wanted to kick off straight away, but the referees held the game up for for Hernandez to put his shirt back on, and I think the footage shows Hernandez just laughing with the referee, just saying um, how embarrassing is that. Yeah. But yeah, a very a very funny moment. He's definitely a hilarious char- character to have um, and have around the dressing room. I think he's. He's just one of them characters, really. At the end of the game, when the players are walking around the pitch, I saw Tavernier just laughing at him, just saying, what an absolute donut you are for doing that. But, (laughs) yeah, a funny moment. But at that stage of the game, with sort of like 10 minutes to go, I I just turned around and I thought, the result has got to go our way, please, because it would just be the worst thing ever. It would have been made into a, a meme among the championship 
Hernandez taking his shirt off and Borough not getting three points. But luckily, that just went our way. We uh, sort of saw the game out really well. Bournemouth didn't really have too many chances. I think there was one that tested Lumley late in the game where he made made a decent save and Crooks cleared the um, cleared the rebound. But barring that, um, Bournemouth didn't really threaten us all too much in that second half. Only that one real chance, I think. And I was quite surprised that the, the, the uh, their attacking players didn't cause us as many problems as I as I anticipated. I think Solanke, we bigged him up before the game, of course, one of the better strikes in this division. And Dale Fry's probably emptied his pockets when he's gone home and found him in there because he didn't didn't have a sniff all game really, did he, Dom Solanke? No, he, he didn't, as you're saying. And you know, um it was it was almost quite surprising for me where you know, as, as we're saying, just going back to that um, Hernandez moment just briefly, as soon as that hits the back of the net and the flag goes up, in my head, all I can think about is there's a Twitter page, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it, and I'm sure listeners will have um, seen it as well. In my head, straight away, I'm just thinking AFL images that preceded an unfortunate event. <laughs> there's the picture of <laughs> Arnell with his top off, just it's ready to go. It's it's written into the script that we will either concede or lose the game from now on because it's just such a a Middlesbrough thing to do. But it wasn't to be the case, and you know credit's got to go to the defenders. Of course, Dale Fry kept Talanty quiet all game, and of course Dyke Steele, um, Taylor McNair, and Jones as well. Um, but yeah, I was I was almost shocked to be honest because. From from my memory, as as you say as well, that there was only really one save that Lumley had to make. I know, you know, a little bit um, prior to that, um, Stanislas um, had had a free kick, which yeah. really uh, <coughs> Lumley palmed away. But I don't think he was under any real threat of, you know, it, I think he had it covered to be honest. Um, but yeah, from from that moment on, I was just prepared for the worst to be honest. But we held out and we we defended well, and then of course we we saw some again similar to Stoke, some some really nice scenes with fans staying behind and and the players going around and applauding and and thanking the, uh, the fans for their efforts of helping them to get to that um, final whistle and, and rolling them on to the three points. Uh, just in terms of of the result, you know, Chris Wilder had spoken had me about. He could feel, or I can't remember if he said he could feel a, a big performance coming, or we needed a big performance coming in. You know, either way, that's exactly what he got on Saturday. Um, again, you know, every single player, and I think it's it's the minimum that, that fans and and the manager expects. But you do notice it more, especially on games like Saturday. Every single player, as soon as the full time whistle goes they all look absolutely knackered and, and that's only credit to them because once again, they ran themselves into the ground. They've held on, they've defended well and, and they got the job done, really. It was a superb performance from us. Yeah, it was. It was a good performance. Again, creating chances. Um, defensively solid. Didn't give all too much away, really. Yeah, Bournemouth did have one or two chances. Um, 
that they should have done better with maybe. But I felt that defensively we limited their front three to pretty much nothing really. It one one chance really that came from a defensive error trying to play out from the back. But we we said that they they'll come unfortunately. Um, we will get better at dealing with things like that. And really, the only they only carved out one proper chance uh, through their own work, which I think that just proves how good our performance was really against one of the better sides in the division to only really have one chance conceded through their own their own making is is outstanding and I think just to say a man of the match for me it, it has to be Jones really I thought he was absolutely outstanding for that goal um, in the build up to it winning the penalty the tackle on Anthony is brilliant um, just stops him from letting him turn and getting at him, just wins wins it on his first touch and then drives into the box, wins the penalty. Defensively, he was solid all day. He got up the line a lot. He press, pressured Zamora into a mistake late on when he could have played Hernandez in but chose not to. I thought it was fair enough him going alone but um, it it just I think that's where a lot of the, the questions come in about his end products but for me I don't think it's really a question I think his end products been outstanding really all season putting balls on plates for our strikers to, to take chances and yeah man of the match for me Isaiah Jones and who knows where uh, where he'll end up playing if a certain man returns in January. We'll we'll get on to him later on in the in the questions, but it it'd be it'd take a lot at the minute to dislodge Isaiah Jones from that position. I think, despite him only playing there for a number of weeks, he's probably been one of the standout players in the in the team really. So man of the match, Isaiah Jones for me. Yeah, I think you know you, you say about Jones there. We've we've mentioned Dale Fry, um, who I thought again was was superb. Never put a foot wrong all afternoon, really. Um, and then you know you you look at even Duncan Watmore, and in terms of his sort of um, the chances that he had, he, he didn't really have. I can't really remember a chance that he actually had on Saturday, but. Yet again, his his work rate is just it's it's second to none, isn't it? I'd I'd love to see his running stats because I would, you know, if I was a a serious betting man, I'd place a lot of money that at the weekend he ran and covered the most distance by a serious um, amount because he just he never seems to get tired. He just like whether it just be chasing down the goalkeeper or chasing down the centre half. Wherever it may be, he just seems to sprint, and I mean, fair play because you know it's it, it rubs off on fans. You see when he chases the goalkeeper down, the, he gets an applause, or the fans sort of just they love that. You know, I'm not going to repeat it on the on the podcast, but that chant as the keeper's about to clear the ball. I think we all know what I'm talking about. Um, you fat something or other. I think it goes like, um, but yeah, just. Um, man of the match for me, I, I think it would have to be Jones again, but 
yeah, I mean, Neil Taylor, he certainly with him, um, with a shout. Sparrow, you know, he broke his duck. And I thought his general hold-up play all afternoon was superb. I can't remember him giving the ball away, to be honest, when with his back to goal, especially. And, and you know, big centre-halves like Gary Cahill to compete with. I, I thought he, he had a, a great game. So, yeah, lots of standout performers. Um, and, and overall, just a, a fantastic performance again from Middlesbrough. And, and hopefully this this run continues, of course. It adds to that unbeaten run that we have going on at the moment. And, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it once again points towards the future under Chris Wilder being an exciting time to be a Middlesbrough fan, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. And just before we move on to the, the questions from the listeners, just like to ask you a question, Chris. Um, we've been under Chris Wilder for about a month now, um, maybe just over a month. And I just want to put to you, who do you think is the most improved player under Chris Wilder so far? Who has fitted into their role in this system? Probably better than everyone else, I suppose. You can you can argue Jones because he hasn't really played that position. But if your answer is not Jones, then I'd be interested to uh, to to find out who that'd be. Um, it's a it's a good question to be fair, and, and you know because of the positive results we've had, I think you can make a good case for quite a few. You know, we've seen Paddy McNair slot back into that back three, and and he shone really. But I mean that was to be expected. Um. I think apart from Jones, who is the obvious one, to be honest, I think Matt Crooks is, he just seems to improve game by game. And it seems like once every three weeks, probably even less than that, we we go on a whole um, basically description of how good he is for Middlesbrough and how good he's been. And, and the fact that, you know, with the three that we have in midfield, and I think a lot of this has to actually do with the the improvements that Johnny Houghton's made. There's another name that could quite easily um, answer that question. And because of the fact that um, Tav now has that extra sort of freedom in midfield, it's it's almost given the midfield the balance. And I think out of all of them, Crooks has benefited from that the most because, I mean... I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm, I'm just going to talk about how good he actually is because not only does he win every aerial duel, it seems like. I mean, he's he must be six foot three, six foot four because he, he looks huge on the pitch. And then to to add to that, he seems to win every tackle. And of course, these these stats aren't you know, bang on. Of course, he doesn't win every single tackle, but just when you're watching a game, he, he never really puts a foot wrong. He he contributes um, in the attacking sense. You know, he, he should have scored against Bournemouth, but we, we've seen this season already that he can contribute. And defensively, again, he, he puts just as much effort getting back and helping the team out. So for me, yeah, apart from Jones, I'd probably have to say Matt Crooks. I mean, um I think you kind of answered your own question, didn't you? I think yours would be Isaiah Jones. But I think for me, those two are the, are the real standouts and a, a definitely a notable mention of Johnny Houston as well, because 
he, I mean, we, I think we discussed it on the last podcast, didn't we? Or we, we might have discussed it on a, a live Twitter space on a, on a Thursday night. But Johnny Housen's improved um, definitely in, in terms of his ability to take the ball on the back foot and turn and, and you know, progress the ball through the thirds, really. So, yeah, I mean, overall, the best way to describe it is that Chris Wilder has improved everyone. I don't think there's one player that's, you know, potentially you look at certain individuals and you think, well, he hasn't had as much game time. But in terms of the players that have been playing, every one of them, in terms of their performances, have improved. And, and that's just gone to show in, in the results, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. And as you say, Johnny House in there, I think my two, if I had to pick two players, they'd improved the most under under Chris Wilder in this new system. And I said, cost Jones. Jones is the is the real standout, I think, playing in a new position and performing so so well. But for me it'd be it'd have to be Johnny Housen really. I think playing in that bit of a deeper role in midfield, I think just it's just easy, easy for him in there. Uh just knocking the ball into the other players in midfield, Tavernier and, and Crooks, and letting letting them really create. And Johnny Housen's just the destroyer in there, really. He's sometimes I, I just watch him during games and he'll just start pressing their, their back four all of a sudden. And I'll be like, Johnny, I, I don't know if that's meant to be your job, but he just loves to press. He's got legs for days to just run about and just try and press players, make, uh, press teams into mistakes. And I thought he's been he's been outstanding, really. Apart from that one pass that he misplaced that led to a Bournemouth chance on, on Saturday, I thought, again, he just neat and tidy. And it's just good to have someone comfortable in there that's comfortable on the ball and can just ease us into an attacking third quite comfortably with a neat pass out wide or to the attacking players further forward in midfield, your Tavernier and Crooks. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say Housen really as well for my most one of my most improved players under Chris Wilder. And I suppose now that just leads us on to, to the questions, I guess. Yeah, it does. Uh, it leads us very nicely onto the the listener questions, and of course, um, thank you as ever for getting in touch um, through Twitter and and asking us the questions because you know, as I say normally on the podcast, it's it's one of my favourite parts of doing this. To be honest, uh, hearing everyone else's thoughts. So, firstly, um, uh, Leon got in touch, and he. Uh, said, do you think that um, Piero should be replacing Tav in the team? Um, David also asked a similar question about, um, you know, what what is Piero doing in training? Why isn't he getting in the team at the moment? And I think to answer the question from my point of view, of course, Nathan, I'll, I'll ask you as well. I think, you know, this this is sort of two two different questions, really, isn't it? it one is about you know, why isn't he replacing Tav especially, but also why isn't Piero getting in the team? And I, I think the, the obvious reason is because of the fact that the midfield is so balanced at the moment and by balanced, I mean that we have Crooks, who is, you know, quite obviously right-footed um, as that sort of right side of the three. 
and Tav, the left-footed of the three, on the left, it just gives a natural sort of, I mean, I'll say balance again. I feel like I've said it about 700 times in the past 30 seconds. But just in terms of when the ball's being switched, it means that when Tav takes it on his left foot, he can then open up and spray it out to the left back. And, you know, vice versa with Crooks. And, you know, as, as much as Tav probably isn't contributing the goals and assists, which a lot of people often criticise him for, I think that, you know, I don't really see it changing, to be honest, at the moment. And and potentially over the Christmas period, we might see a different variation of that three. But in terms of Tav's work rate and, and what he adds to the team, and in terms of his energy and his, his defensive capabilities, to be honest, there was a few times, just going back to the game on Saturday, where, you know, Bournemouth looked like they were about to start an attack. And, and from nowhere, really, Tav just appears, wins the ball back and then recycles possession. So to answer that part of the question, I think as much as Piero, we've seen the technical ability that he has, he, you know, he has it in abundance, but I, I don't think he's going to replace Tav anytime soon. And in regards to what Piero's doing in training, I, I don't think that it, it's really a question of what he's doing in training because I'm sure that he's performing just as well. It's just it comes back to the fact that, you know, that, that balance in midfield, especially in Chris Wilder's team, is so essential. And unless there's an injury in there, I, I, unfortunately, as, as much as I want to see Piero play as much as everyone else, I, I think he's going to find it hard to get game time um, moving forward, really. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you say, really, there. I think the main point... Um, as to why he probably won't be getting in this team at this moment in time is is the balance. Um, I think at the minute, perfectly balanced with Housen sitting in there, as I say earlier, being just that midfield destroyer that can easily just knock the ball to his centre-halves or out wide to the wing-backs or whatever. Um, Tavernier on that left side being left-footed and Crooks being on that right side being right-footed, it's... It's all about balance, really. We've been crying out for um, a midfield that has balance. Me, me and yourself, Chris, been mentioning it all season, really. And since Wilder come in and has played this midfield trio, it's it's been fine. They've, they've all played really well together in there, all doing the jobs really well. So I think it's a case of if it's not broken, don't fix it sort of thing. Um Wilder said in his press conferences about Piero needing to be 100% fit, and when he is, he'll be eased in. So he's, he's been back on the bench in recent weeks. Of course, we saw on Middlesbrough's website that we played a, a reserve game at Huddersfield with a few of our players that are in the first team, or in and around the first team, should I say, in that starting 11, and Piero was one of those, scored two and played 45 minutes. Um, which is promising, of course. We all know his, his technical ability. But for now, I think it, it's, it's best to just not disrupt that balance. Um, if there's any fatigue in midfield, in that midfield three that's been playing so regularly, I think Piero will be the man to, to fill in there. But for now, I suppose it's just best not to change it. Yeah, I think you're right. And... and... Do you know, I, I think 
of course, I mean, still, I don't think really the buzz about Pierre will ever go away, really, because of the fact, you know, there was such a saga about his transfer and, and because of the fact that, you know, he's South American. It's just, it's, it's, it's sort of football fan sort of nature to, to have that excitement and, and want to see him play. And, you know, we all feel the same, but just at the moment, I think the next time really it looks like you'll get a run out is, is probably the Mansfield Cup tie, to be honest. So, of course, um, I guess we'll look forward to that and, and hopefully get some moments um, to show what he can do in that game. Um, so just moving on to the next question, and um, this one comes in from Charlie. Um he actually asked two questions and and he firstly asked um, Nathan, how many players um, do you think we need in January? And the second part of his question um, is in reference to uh, an interview that Chris Wilder recently done, um, where he mentioned some complicated factors um, in potentially bringing Jed Spence back to the club. Um, of course, he's on loan at Nottingham Forest at the moment and there's been various reports um, with regards to the fact we want to recall him, the fact that he's quite happy to stay at Forest. Um, so, yeah, firstly, I'll, I'll ask you, of course, about how many players you think we're looking at bringing in and, and what you think we need in January, but also, of course, um, feel free to answer that Jed Spence question as well. Yeah. Um, about January, I myself will probably differ to whatever Chris Wilder thinks, really. He'll know the playing staff best and what he wants to play in this in this new system that he's implemented at the football club. But I think from the outside looking in, I think he'd definitely definitely be looking at a goalkeeper. We've spoken about it in the last few weeks. He wants the goalkeepers to be comfortable with the ball at the feet. In the last few weeks, we have seen Joe Lumley come in in, in the number one spot and I think he's he's done a relatively solid job, to be fair. Um, he looks a bit more comfortable with the ball at his feet than Luke Daniels does. And I think, to be fair as well, in terms of the level of goalkeeping that both of those two are at, I think they're relatively similar. So I think Lumley will be favoured, if I'm honest. Out of those two, I think the obvious one with the mention of Spence's right wing back, if Jones gets injured, we don't have any cover there uh, at this moment in time. So I think you'll be looking at someone in there, maybe another centre-half. Uh, if one or two leave, we have players that aren't getting game time at the moment. You look at Grant Hall. I know Nathan Wood can't play till January, but it'll be interesting to see if he is that extra centre-half that's needed to just come in and fill in when and if he's needed. Um, maybe an um, attacking midfielder. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I think the balance so far, as we've just said, is fantastic. With Piero on the bench as well, that's fine uh, to have him there. I think Saliki, we may see his loan terminated, if I'm honest. He hasn't really had a chance at all under under Chris Wilder, which sort of speaks volumes on what Chris Wilder's opinion is um, on on James Lersaliki and whether he'll fit in to this this style of play. And then I think the main positions that we'll be looking at 
are those striker roles really? We've seen names mentioned in in the press rumours in the last few weeks, and who knows if and when these players will come in. But Chris Wilder says about wanting to get business done early, which is nice to hear. We don't usually have that uh, from the football club. It's usually last minute and late on in the window that we do most of our business. But it'd be good to get one or two strikers in. But I think that to facilitate transfers in, there will be transfers out. And we'll just have to see who, who those players are. And then just touching on the Spence question, I think when Wilder first came to the football club, everyone sort of flung their eyes towards Jed Spence and were thinking, well, he's doing really well at Nottingham Forest. He'd probably fit the system perfectly, really, in terms of getting forward and getting back um, and do, doing both jobs in that right wing back role. But the complicated reason for his recall, and we did speak about this as well uh, when Wilder first came in, is what if he doesn't want to leave? And that's coming out now that Jed Spence probably doesn't want to leave Nottingham Forest. He's playing really well there. He's played in a system with a manager that trusts him and a manager and a club that have wanted him there. He's been here in the past where fans have sort of been on his back a little bit and sort of questioned his ability. But now he's got a Nottingham Forest and he's he's playing really well. The fans love him. Probably it's closer to where he lives, where he's from. He's from London, so of course, it's a bit further down the country, easier to facilitate his family life probably. And not forgetting he is only he is only a young lad. He's only about mine and Chris's age. So he probably doesn't want to be too far away from home in a place where he doesn't feel all too loved. So that's that's probably the reasoning behind it. And can you blame him if he doesn't want to come back? He was he left this football club on the last day of, of the summer transfer window because a previous manager didn't want him. And he's found a place now where the manager really trusts him. He's a big part of Nottingham Forest's plans for this season and plays in a really important role in their in their side. So why would he want to leave? That's that's the question. Yeah, I think obviously you know you make uh, a lot of points that probably are are the complicated reasons. I mean, I, I think that's that's quite evident. Um, from the reports that are coming out and and you know from a I think from a Middlesbrough fan perspective everyone was very quick to say well if he doesn't want to be here then get rid of him but I also do sort of sympathise with him a little bit as you say you know under the previous manager he had a lot of fans on his back and whether that was right or wrong is a whole different debate but he was deemed surplus to requirements shipped out on loan and at the time no one really batted an eyelid no one was really that bothered but obviously since he's come good at Nottingham Forest now there was that sudden urge of, of people thinking well yeah we'll get him back if he he's shown what he can do again now so so let's bring him back so I think from from both sides of, of course there is a there is reasoning behind each decision and, and what I would say from Middlesbrough's side of things is you know Jed Spence left under a complete different manager 
and of course he'll be aware of that, but perhaps he hasn't actually realised the the sheer amount of change that has gone on. You know, we spoke about it last week. I'm sure Jed Spence won't be all that bothered about what's happening off the field, but just in terms of the club at the moment, it really does look like it's going in a different direction um, with the recruitment and and mainly for what Spence will be concerned by and that's on the pitch. I don't think anyone really expected such sheer amount of change in the way we perform in the type of football that we try to play from, from obviously the transition from Neil Warnock to Chris Wilder. So, yeah, there's, there's certainly a case to be made that bringing Jed Spence back would, you know, it would benefit us in more ways than one because obviously Nottingham Forest currently find themselves above us in the table after a, a quite ridiculous run of form, really, that's seen them shoot up the table. And of course, this option now means that we can weaken a playoff rival and you know, you only have to see how much it would affect Forrest by some of the fans of Forrest on social media. I think they are dreading, you know, the possibility that Jed Spence might come back to Middlesbrough. So I think ultimately, if Chris Wilder wants to bring Jed Spence back, then Jed Spence will come back to the club. But if if Jed Spence is making it very, very clear that he's adamant on staying at Nottingham Forest and doesn't want to come back, then, you know, that changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, Just in terms of um, touching on the the transfers question, um, I think similar to what you said again, Nathan, I think transfers, um, if we look at um, the transfers that will be made, I think the areas that we need a goalkeeper, of course, right wing back, if Spence doesn't come back, then we're still going to need cover for Jones. I think potentially, um, as you say, a left-footed centre-back, just to give us that little bit of balance, um, will be something that Chris Wilder looks at. Um, and then really, um, any additions in midfield, I would guess, would be as a response to departures from the club. And of course, you've mentioned Saliki, where that's a possibility that he may go. And and really the, the area that we are crying out for and what undoubtedly will be improved. We've seen it from all of the rumours so far that Chris Wilder wants to bring some new strikers into the club and add some real firepower. So yeah, I think hopefully, Charlie, that answers uh, both of your questions. Uh, I think, yeah. As I say, uh, the real areas that we do need, of course, just to reiterate, uh, goalkeeper, wing-back and striker are the ones that are definitely, I think, three that will happen. So, um, moving on to another question, and I hope I haven't um, written this down wrong. I'm looking at the notes now, Nathan. The name is Balham. Now, I don't know if that is uh, a Twitter name or a nickname or something like that, I apologise if I pronounced it wrong or if it's just a a random generated name, I'm not sure. But uh, the question that we received from Balam was, uh, long term, do you see us getting in the playoffs? And uh, he also asked, should we keep Neil Taylor past January? I think, firstly, I'll just answer the Neil Taylor question and get that out of the way on behalf of both of us. I think... 
it's an obvious yes, isn't it? We we saw we saw him fill in against Bournemouth. Mark Bowler over the past season or so, really, we've we've seen that he hasn't really managed to often put sort of 10, 20 games together without picking up little knocks or things like that. So, of course, you know, it's always um, essential that you have cover in that position. And I think Neil Taylor's contract runs until January. So that's definitely something that I'm fairly sure will be extended beyond January. Uh, Just going back to the question about the playoffs, uh, I think this is also a question that we have answered um, previously, Nathan, and I think both of us sort of said really that, you know, possibilities are, we sit to two points off the playoffs currently, bear in mind that some teams have had games cancelled, but yeah, I, I think we definitely can, two points is, it's one game, isn't it, and the way we're playing at the moment and the style of football, I think things will only improve between now and the end of the season. So to, to actually add to this question, now I never thought I'd be saying this, Nathan, and I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the result on Saturday takes us exactly 10 points behind Bournemouth, who sit in second place. Do you think it is completely out of question? Because I think the question of getting into the playoffs, you know, it's it's a possibility. Of course it is. Do you think that automatic promotion, not, not winning the league, but just challenging, we've seen what Blackburn have done. We've put, um, sorry, Blackburn have put a hell of a run of results together. Do you think us challenging is completely out of the question, Nathan? Um, it's, a, it's, it's a big question to ask, Nathan, but that's uh, that's why we're here to discuss these types. It of is. It is a mass. It's a massive question to ask, um, and one that's caught me off guard a little bit as well. Um, the thing is, I'm normally pessimistic, so you probably didn't expect me to ask this, but I'm sort of asking it from a point of view where. Yeah, mate, my voice is going again, probably because I didn't even expect myself to actually ask that question. Um, yeah, I'm asking this from a point of view where, why not? You know, we're, we're putting some results together at the moment. We've seen Blackburn do it. Let's just, let's ask the question, why not? It's Christmas. Everyone has that extra 5 10% about them. So, yeah, I'm putting it to you, Nathan. Am I getting far too ahead of myself, or is there a is there a small chance? I think with everything, there's always a chance, but I think you are getting a bit ahead of yourself here. We've had a few, I am, I am. <laughs> we've had a few weeks under under Chris Wilder now where results have been going our way, and th- those results are going our way not through luck, but through our own performances. We are performing really well at the minute, creating chances, being defensively solid and just putting in all-round good performances against sides that are meant to be some of the better sides in the division. You look at Bournemouth, Stoke, Swansea and 
even Huddersfield when we went to go and play them. The, the, these sides were all above us when we when we've played them. All right, Swan were Swansea above us, maybe they were around the same point as us when it when it happened. Before we played Swansea, they were above us, yeah. Well, so there you go. Then so we played all these sides that are above us in the table, and I think it's fair to say every side that we've played in the last four that have all been above us, we've been by far the better side in each game that we've that we've played in, really, in terms of chances created and just all-round team performance. I feel like that we've been the better sides. I think looking at the table now, we are sat in ninth position with um, immediately above us, Coventry, and then it's Forest, Stoke, QPR, West Brom, Blackburn, Bournemouth, Fulham. Looking at that, only two sides above us have taken points off us, and that was QPR in a game where mistakes cost us, I feel, and Coventry, where, again, I think we'd both rather not talk about Coventry, both being there, but I think we, we said even months ago, Coventry, we felt like they, they probably would fall away eventually. Now, I don't want to jinx Coventry all too much, but I do feel as though that they are they will fall away and they won't have quite enough. But you look at Forest, we'll get onto them because we've got them up next, of course, Boxing Day at the Riverside. But for in, the, in their case, they were like bottom of the league when Steve Cooper came and took over. Now, since Steve Cooper took over at Forest, they've lost one game in 15, and that was against Fulham, who are, of course, leader, league leaders in the division. They've won eight and drawn six, and now they're in on the verge of the playoffs, one point away from the playoffs, which just proves that any team in the division can throw a run together, and who knows where it takes them. Now... Going back to your question, whether I think automatic promotions out of the question, realistically, yeah, I do think it is out of the question. I think these sides there are bowlers will will pick up form. Bournemouth are a bit um, iffy at the minute with their run of form. Lost a few games in a row, but I have no doubt that they'll pick up. They've got one of the strongest squads in the division, and it, it shouldn't continue for much longer. This run of form that they're on, Blackburn. They're on a good run of form at the minute. Do I think they'll continue it? Who knows? Come January, they may have players that are stripped away from that squad sooner rather than later, really, with the way that they're performing. I think everyone looks at Brereton Diaz as the, the main man, and he's been linked with moves to the Premier League at sides that are lower down the division, and he probably will leave in January, knowing the type of club that Blackburn are. But long-term, can we get playoffs? That's Balham's question. I'd agree. Yes, we can. We can get playoffs, really. If I look at the sides above us, I don't really see anyone above us that I'm necessarily worried by, if I'm honest. I think the way we're playing and from what I've seen, we're now pretty much halfway through the season. And we've seen these sides play against Middlesbrough at least once. And from what I've seen from these sides, there's no real standout. I think the division this season is so closely matched 
in terms of all sides' ability, even even Fulham really. Fulham can drop points. We have seen that, and we went to Fulham and got a point ourselves. So I think the division's anyone's really. Anyone's, and if if they can throw, if any team can throw a good run of results together, it can take them so far in this division this season. It's so tight. So long term, can we get playoffs? Why not? Yeah, I think that's a good place to uh, to leave the questions on. Before before I start saying that we are going to get automatically promoted, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, in, in reality, of course, you know, I, I asked it more of a sort of, a question really to shock you into action, Nathan, just sort of try and catch you off guard and, and see how you felt. Um, but yeah, I think you, you've summed it up perfectly there, you know. There is a lot of good teams in this division. Admittedly, they can be they can be beaten, as you say. I don't think I, I, before Chris Wilder come in, whole different story. But um, with Chris Wilder now, I don't really fear anyone in the division. Um, so, with that being said, we'll move on to one team that is above us in the table, and and one team that have. I mean, when you look at the the previous fixture and when we beat Nottingham Forest at the city ground they were in the bottom three and they looked dead and buried under uh, Chris Hutton you know Chris Hutton was sacked following that game and since then it has been a simply remarkable run of form under Steve Cooper um they haven't been beaten for nine games now and yeah I, I think with that being said you know it's it's going to be another tough test at the Riverside, isn't it? It is. It's a it's a very big test. Um, Nottingham Forest, I, I, apart from Blackburn, I'd say that they're probably the form side in the division, really, at this current time. Um, I've just reeled off the stats there. Only been beat once in the last 15 games uh, under Steve Cooper. And he's done a remarkable job to turn them from where they were in the table, which were, as you say, dead and buried. They, they didn't look great when they played us earlier on in the season. Um, and he's done a fantastic job to to turn it round and get them playing in a way where they're comfortable with the players that they have. They're not as rigid as they were. Um, I think they play quite similarly to Chris Wilder really looking to just create lots of chances but being defensively solid as well and it's working for them at this current time they've found themselves seventh in the table one point off the playoffs one point above us in the table as well and it's certainly going to be a very good game at the Riverside um, all fingers crossed that nothing happens in the next week that that stops this from happening because I think everyone's got their eyes on this one. It's a very, very exciting prospect, this game. Yeah, it is. And um, before, really, we, we delve into some of the players um, that are going to probably cause us problems. I should say that for those actually watching um, on YouTube, I have just turned the brightness down on my iPad because I was starting to worry that I actually looked a little bit like Dracula with the darkness <laughs> descending into the room. And the light flickering up on my face. It almost, I almost felt like I was ready to tell a horror story, to be honest. 
Um, hopefully the Nottingham Forest game isn't a horror story, if you um, pardon the pun. So moving on to the players, um, which, you know, Forest have uh, one player, of course, that's going to be missing, Jed Spence, of course, with his loan agreement means he won't be playing. Um, but yeah, I, I think what I'm going to do here is, Nathan, I'm going to talk about one of the players and ask you to talk about another one of the players because, of course, um, there is quite the connection there, isn't there, with with Lincoln? And I'm sure your Lincoln sporting mates will be very interested to hear uh, your point of view on Brennan Johnson, of course, um, who we'll talk about. Um, firstly, obviously, Lewis Graben. I think all championship fans know everything what Lewis Graben's about. You know, he's already scored 10 this season and assisted four. And, you know, even when Nottingham Forest have been at the worst, Lewis Graben's always amongst the goals. You know, he... He scored goals for Bournemouth. He scored goals for Norwich when he was there. He even scored goals for Sunderland when he was on loan there in the Championship. And I mean, I don't think they won a game practically all season. So, yeah, he's a goal scorer, isn't he? So, of course, he'll be looking to get on the end of crosses. I'm sure he won't be getting on the end of Jed Spencer's crosses because he won't be playing. But, you know, Nottingham Forest have got enough players in that team where... I'm sure he'll have chances during the game and, and it's just about trying to stop that really because Lewis Graben, I, I don't think it would be an over-exaggeration to say that he's probably one of the most sort of deadly strikers in the division over the past few years in the championship. So, yeah, we, we all know what to expect from him. Moving on to you now, Nathan, and moving on to Brennan Johnson, of course. I mentioned him. He spent last season on loan at Lincoln. And of course, for those that don't know, and I'm sure listeners that have, have listened to the podcast uh, previously will know that you go to university in Lincoln. So you you know a lot about um, Brennan Johnson. Uh, what sort of um, threat is he going to give us uh, on, on Boxing Day? Yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly Nottingham Forest's live wire, really. He's arguably their best player. Um, certainly going forward, he's very important in the way they play. He's very direct, very quick, and he's chipped in with a few goals and assists this season as well. Um, last season, he was sent on loan to Lincoln City in League One, and a lot of Forest fans kind of thought, well, maybe he could have impacted the first team if, he, if he'd had a chance last season. But yeah, last season in, in League One, he was probably one of the better players in the division. Uh, he fired Lincoln City to the playoff final, um, which was an unbelievable achievement. If you look where they are now in the table, they're dwindling quite low in League One. And a lot of that is down to the loss of, of Johnson and his goals and his contribution um, for them last season. So going back to this season, He's made the step up to the championship remarkably well. Um, being looked at now by Premier League clubs that may even look to pick him up in January. He was linked with Brentford and Leeds in the summer prior to this season. And he's been given the chance to make the step up to the championship. And he's he's done that. He scored, scored on Saturday, the winner against Hull City. And he did really well to score the goal as well. Took the ball well on his chest and just slotted it in in the corner really well, homegrown talent for Nottingham Forest. And 
I have no doubt that either Neil Taylor or, or Mark Bowler will have the work cut out trying to mark him on on Saturday, Sunday, 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 Sunday. afternoon. Yeah, um, yeah, Sunday. Of course, um, we won't be uh, playing on Christmas Day, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. I mean, just in terms of Brennan Johnson, you know, he has five goals and, and five assists so far this season, as you say. He settled into the championship very well and he looks completely at home, doesn't he? He's got all the attributes to cause us problems and, and I'm sure that he'll give whether, you know, I think he's quite capable of playing from the left and from the right. So I think, you know, whoever, as you say, whoever's up against him will have to be on their A game and, and defend well. Um, just in terms of obviously the way that Nottingham Forest play, Typically, they do play uh, similarly to Chris Wilder's uh, formation and, and similarly to pretty much everyone in the championship these days. They do play with a five-at-the-back formation. Although, with Jed Spence out of the game, of course, you maybe would wonder if that would potentially change the way they play or if they might revert to a four, potentially, or they might just change personnel. You know, we, It remains to be seen, but typically, they do play that five so will of course be that uh, matchup with with either side's wing backs, and you know Nottingham Forest. Okay, last uh, season it wasn't the greatest of seasons, and and at the start of this season, you know, um, they weren't playing great either. But but typically all of our games against Forest are, are pretty close, closely contested, um, and yeah, with it being on Boxing Day. I'm sure it'll be a, a strong crowd at the Riverside. And it, it's an a, a occasion that I'm looking forward to, to be honest. I, I think it'll be another really good game for, for Middlesbrough fans, fingers crossed, but definitely for neutrals as well. Yeah, Boxing Day football's best best football of the year, really. Um, and playing Nottingham Forest as well, one of the bigger, bigger clubs in the division. They'll definitely bring a, a good following. They always do to the Riverside. And yeah, it'll be a fantastic atmosphere. Two sides that are really, really good footballing sides now. In fact, it feels amazing saying we're a really good footballing side because we haven't had that for years. But yeah, two good sides that want to keep the ball, want to create chances against each other. Players that, that stand out, you look at Jones, Sparrow, Tavernier, Crooks, you look at their lot, which Johnson, Graben, Zinkenagel, all these types of players that are looking to get on the ball and create chances. And it has all the ingredients to be a fantastic game. And let's just hope that it can live up to that and be a good game. But let's hope that Borough are on the right result again. Yeah, definitely. And, and do you know what? Um, I don't even think you were prepared for this, to be honest. But because it is our last podcast before Christmas... Um, I just wanted to ask you some ridiculous questions about about your Christmas and about Borash Christmas. And as soon as you said ingredients, my mind straight away thought about Christmas dinner. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's a, it's a little bit different, isn't it, um, in regards to the way that, that footballers have their Christmas. Um, so one one question I was thinking, and I was, you know, I haven't I haven't written them down on purpose because I, I knew you would look at them. I wanted to spring it on you sort of and, and let you sort of um think about it on the spot. So my question is, Nathan, if 
Um, of course, you'll you'll have a lovely Christmas with your family. Of course, you will. But if someone said, you know, you can have your Christmas with your family, and you can also have a another dinner later in the day. Now, I'm not I'm not sure if you could even stomach another dinner, but let's just say a Christmas party, and you've got to pick three Middlesbrough players from the current crop of players to be at said party or said dinner. Who are you picking? It's a very good question. But number one, Onel Hernandez. What what a yeah. man. He's just a proper character. He'd be unbelievable crack. He'd be flying around the kitchen table after he's had a few books fizzes. And it, it'd just be carnage. So Onel Hernandez is number one. I think Sparafa is his cool, calm persona. Uh, I think he'd just be like having a conversation with Latan, if I'm honest. Just so so funny but in his own little way just be hilarious and lastly I would probably pick uh, either Dale Fry or Uche Dale Fry just because I think he'd be so just just daft it's fun just daft type of funny and Uche just because I think if I don't even know. It'd just be too funny. Uche and Hernandez, the big man, little man duo that seems to come on for the last 20 minutes every week. They must have a good partnership. Yeah, it'd just be just be funny and a funny, uh, funny selection of players as well. What are you going for yourself? Surely you've got three yourself. Yeah, do you know what? I mean, I hadn't actually thought about it, but I, I quite like your reasoning. And also, you know, typically Christmas time, Everyone has a few too many, don't they? And I mean, in, I don't want to sort of make any conceptions about <laughs> everyone other, um, everyone else's uh, Christmases, I should say. But you know, around Christmas, if anyone has a few too many and, and any sort of fights break out, at least if Uche is there, like you say, I think <laughs> he's dealing with that. He can sort of act as a bouncer. If, if you know any other people rock up that you don't want there, he's just sort of palming them away straight away, just holding them off at the front door like that, arm out. Um, in terms of my own, I think I'm going to have to say Arnell again, just, I mean, purely because of that celebration. I mean, I was trying, <laughs> I was trying not hysterically just laugh and, and completely lose where we were in the podcast with that. So Arnel Hernandez, 100%, as you say, he'll have a few of, of whatever he likes to drink and then probably be swinging his shirt round. Um, I'm actually going to go with a little bit of a, um, a different one here. I'm actually going to say Johnny Housen because um, now I've never met Johnny Housen um, and nor have I seen his, the way he lives or um, his cooking arrangements. But for some reason, I just have a feeling that if you if you asked him, he he because I mean I'm not much of a cook myself. I feel like if you asked Johnny Allison, he'd be able to rustle up a, a decent dinner. I feel like he's just one of one of them blokes that just can't deal with that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Johnny Housen definitely. Uh, Arnell, of course, as well. And then, do you know what? I quite like your reasoning behind Spira, but I don't want to be the same. Um, so do you know what? Um, I'm going to go with Joe Lumley. Joe Lumley. And, and do you know why? It's because 
I mean, I pointed out to you, didn't I? And, and everyone notices uh, at the games. He absolutely thrives off that ain't nobody chant. And I feel like if, if you know, if the day or the party, whatever you want to call it, wasn't going as much to plan as perhaps, you know, you first wanted it to, Joe Lumley's just got that in him to just sort of get everything started a little bit. <laughs> Bang on something on his phone. I don't know what his playlist's looking like, but I just feel like he's he's got a bit of energy just to sort of G up the he G's up the crowd, doesn't he? So surely he could get a Christmas party going. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think those two answers there from both of us are decent answers. Good reasoning as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I think in in fairness, considering I I asked that um, and put you on the spot a little bit, I think you've done well to think about that. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a nice place to end it on, of course. You know, Christmas-themed last podcast before Christmas. We had to, we had to incorporate it in there somehow. Um, I don't think we were ever going to wear Christmas Santa hats on the podcast, but you never know. Um, <laughs> in the future, it might be something that we look into. Um, but, yeah, um, from me and Nathan, of course, uh, thank you, as ever, for, for watching and listening to the podcast. Um and you know, your your support since the start of the season. I, I don't know whether the way it's going to fall, whether we actually have a a podcast prior a new year. I think, in fact, no. I think we agreed, didn't we, that actually the first podcast is going to be after New Year's Day, and we will have one hell of a, a tasty podcast because we'll have three games, of course. Um, as much as we are dedicated, we thought that we'd leave um, the podcast for, for Christmas Day or anything like that. So, yeah, I, I'll just say um, firstly, and Nathan, I'll let you say, of course, that, um, you know, considering we started um, at the start of this season and up until this point, this support's been amazing. Uh, all the listens, of course, we appreciate. As I say, normally any questions that have got in touch and just in general with the account, you know, all of the, all of the followers and interaction, we really appreciate it. So thank you uh, going into the new year for that. Nathan, I'll, I'll let you have a little parting um, message. You know, maybe if people will listen to this instead of the Queen on Christmas Day. Got, got to be. Got to get the listen in before uh, the big big game on, on Boxing Day. But yeah, just to reiterate what Chris said there. Thanks everyone for, for listening throughout the, the season so far. It's been probably painful a bit under Neil Warnock to listen to me and Chris pretty much crying how bad we we were and how bad the results were and how bad referees are in this division. But it's it's been lively the last few weeks. Um, the results have certainly helped us both be a bit more upbeat about the podcast. So with that, um, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope everyone has a good Christmas and a good New Year as well. And hopefully during this this time that the borough are all okay and keep firing the results in. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a lovely place to leave it on, Nathan. So, yeah, just to re- uh, reiterate, if I can get my words out, I haven't even had a drink yet. So, um, yeah, I'll save that for Christmas Day. Um, but, yes, um, as Nathan says, um, from both of us, have a very uh, nice Christmas. Um, of course, best wishes. For everyone listening and watching, going into the new year, and thank you again for watching and listening to the Brock List podcast. <laughs>